Yeah, if you don't earn it, it doesn't mean anything. If you don't earn things, they don't mean anything. This is what you said is so, so important. Don't Hide the Scars, a weekly podcast focused on addiction and recovery. Created by the nonprofit Pain, parents and addicts in need, and founded by Flint Anderson. Welcoming to Don't Hide the Scars, Dr. Donna Marks. She's the author of Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Cure. Thanks for joining founder of Pain, uh, Flynn Anderson, and myself, Jason Lachance, on the podcast. Good morning, Donna. Good morning. How are you today? We're all good, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see how the day progresses. Uh, we we all yeah. woke up sober, so we're good. There you go. Yeah, that, there's nothing, there's no greater feeling than uh, remembering what it was like waking up, hungover, or late and have having missed an important, important appointment, or um, why did I waste that money, or all those other very right. negative feelings. And when you can wake up with a, a, even beyond just basic, you know, sobriety, but when you get to that point where you wake up feeling peaceful, it's, okay. it's so glorious. Yeah, it is. I, I always go back to that, even though my sleep patterns had definitely not returned. I remember that one day in, in, in treatment back in 01, where I was probably, you know, three, three and a half weeks into, into my stay. And I woke up one morning and I went, wow, that's what it's like to sleep. <laughs> you know, I hadn't done it in 20 years, yes. I, I you know, because those sleep patterns just disappear. Yes. You know, just about everybody I work with or people that I talk to, they say they're waking up in the middle of the night or they're not sleeping well. Uh, most people are waking up around two or three o'clock in the morning. And, you know, you could assign that to some type of spiritual thing. Um, but what I try to help people to understand is, you know, it's not that big of a deal. You're not going to die from lack of sleep. Right. The worst case scenario after a couple of nights is you're going to be so tired by the third night. Nothing <laughs> that will you will you sleep, right? <laughs> and, you know, I always say you can sleep when you're dead. So it's a perfect time to problem solve. It's a perfect time to catch up on your reading. Uh, even I do some of my best writing in the middle of the night. Sure. Those thoughts are you know, firing off and I get them down and, uh, you know, just not fighting it because otherwise you're going to listen to your mind go, I got to get my sleep. I got to get my sleep. I got to, and then you're going to get more and more wound up and more and more frustrated. And you could have turned a really fun evening into a disaster. So <laughs> right. it's so much better to just kind of roll with it and, and let your, you know, let things just take their natural course, whatever that is, even when it feels unnatural. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, that's the addict's mind, right? Let's make it the worst case scenario possible. Ab absolutely. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. How can I turn this minor thing into a catastrophe? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's our MO. Come on. It's what we do. So it's uh, the title of the book is is, is bold in the sense uh, Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Cure. Uh, you in recovery yourself. How did you start to really take a look at it as one addiction? Because, you know, I, I say to Flint, look, the, the book is really good the way Donna lays it out here. One addiction, it's kind of, huh? You, you know, so it's uh, it's definitely catching. Um, but you phrase it in a great way, backed with research and, and your personal history and the work you've done. Thank you. I just want to um, comment that that book was picked up by a publisher and we changed the title. We revised the original copy, which you have the title of there, and we changed it to Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Solution. Because as you know, an addict hears the word cure and they think that means that they can continue doing the behavior that they gave right. up and no way. Because once <laughs> your brain has become adapted and changed forever from an addiction, 
addiction, you can't ever do it again. What I mean by that word cure or solution is that when you can get to the point that you don't want to be addicted to anything and you won't even think about it as a matter of fact, because you're too, you're too fulfilled and you are going to enjoy life so much that you're, it's just not going to be focusing on all those kinds of things that it did before. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, why narrow it down to one addiction? And of course, uh, well, you know, because we- um, what I found out and from my own personal recovery and what I've seen and the thousands of people that I've worked with is that if I go into treatment for substance abuse, I get out and then I transfer over to sick love relationships, sick sex and love relationships. If I, when I quit smoking, I started extreme exercise, you know, and, you know, it just kept going round and round in circles. And I was saying, wait a minute, I went to treatment. I, I got the sponsor. I did the steps. I'm working with others. Uh, I've done, I've read the book over and over. I'm, I'm going to meetings and I'm not feeling right. Something's still not right inside of me. And so that, what I call that invisible hole, you know, just because I gave up something and even somewhat replaced it with a program, it wasn't enough to, to really deal with what, number one, what caused that invisible hole. And then that's not enough either. You know, even the trauma work isn't enough. I have to learn how to fill that invisible hole with other things. Mm -hmm. That's why I say there's one addiction. I'll just keep moving around, moving around. And yeah. it's even worse now, you know, with, with when, when I first got sober in 1986, before I, I realized I had a bunch of addictions, this wasn't around. This is a biggie now, technology. And then, of course, uh, you know, pornography is really off the rails. Like, I, I right. think one of my research things is like 76,000 hits a minute or every 10 yeah. seconds or some outrageous mm-hmm. thing. So we're really, you know, I'm not judging. I'm just saying that, you know, as long as we're doing those kinds of things, we're not going to get that sense of peace that keeps helps us sleep better at night. You're speaking my language as someone that, you know, my my trauma, uh, which I see as my gateway and growing up in a home of addiction similar to yourself uh, was sexual trauma. And uh, as about six years old, exposed to pornography. And of course, <laughs> growing up around mm. the day and age, you had to find somebody's dad's stuff or, you know, it wasn't out there readily available with just a simple Google search. Um, you know, it was the thing that took me the longest to recognize that that was leaving the biggest hole in my heart. You know, uh, I, I definitely was the guy that cycled through relationships, a max of two years and, you know, had somebody lined up. So it's um, it's a huge thing, a concern. I spoke at a high school to two classes, primarily female last week. And, you know, this was some of the topics that they wanted to talk about after I shared my story shortly. It was, okay, tell me more about the sex and love addiction, pornography, technology addiction, et cetera. It's a hot, it's a very hot topic. And I work with a lot of younger men uh, and women, but it's harder for men to stop this. And almost always what happened, you know, it's it was like you said, with with a different generation, you know, you weren't really looking for that type of um, stimulus <laughs> and it wasn't so easy to find. You had to sneak into somebody's closet and find their magazines. And you were also most likely a teenager. And there was those natural arousals that were coming up. So it was almost normal. I mean, it was normal. You know, right. the, let's let's just face it, it was normal. But what's happening now is these very young children are getting imprinted on these sexual uh, pictures 
which makes the opposite sex or the same sex, whatever your sexual preferences is. I don't want to get into all that, but it makes it like a, a brand in your brain. And so it's associated object uh, orgasm and it becomes highly addictive. And then trying to learn, you take, you combine that with a lack of a secure attachment with another human being in childhood and trying to learn how to have a healthy attachment with a human being, not an object is quite the challenge later on in life. And kudos to you for facing that and addressing it and, and working on that. Well, it, takes a, it takes, you know, it's one thing to quit using drugs and alcohol, but when you quit using people and learn how to navigate your way into a healthy relationship, that is really going through the swamps. I don't want to snort anyone and I don't want to be snorted. That's that's the easiest way to put it. But but I mean, Flint, you see it in abundance with the with the younger people that you work with. Yeah, there's there's a couple things on that, Donna. What you might want to do, I was browsing through Netflix one one day because I, I I mean I just I love Netflix, but there was there was a piece on Pornhub um that is like yeah. the number one whatever you want to call it uh, uh documentary document yeah this was a documentary on Pornhub and it and it, and I watched it and it explained I mean the entire the entire business of of Pornhub and how how they get people the money that they're making off of this thing yeah when you said whatever it was how many you know how many how much money per minute I thought I went right to that show they are just they're going nuts they're making more money than pharmaceutical companies they're making more money than insurance companies you know and and then what I noticed and this is especially about four or five years ago when I don't know about in your area but massage parlors are were everywhere. I mean, everywhere. And these young men in particular, even while they were in sober living facilities, you know, after treatment, I mean, they were constantly going to the massage parlor and then going to the Indian casinos to go gamble. You know, it, it, it's One and, and again, <laughs> what, right. But, but that, again, in my opinion, not always, but that can't, depending on how those two things turn out, that can definitely draw some back, somebody back to their, their substance use addiction, you know, in a heart, in a heartbeat. Right. Because rather than filling that invisible hole, you're expanding it Yeah, with negative self-esteem, with remorse, with guilt, with bad right. decisions. And so it, eventually you keep doing those kinds of things. You're going to run into the kinds of people that you can share your drug using experiences with. And exactly. you're going to feel so bad about yourself. You're going to say, you know, I've been sober for X number of years or whatever. What's the point? So that's what I did. Anyhow, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do we break the what's the point? I mean, in your perspective, your research and all the work you've done. Well, what, what I learned through my own relapse is that, you know, I, I was blaming, you know, I did everything and how come I'm not better? And, you know, when I relapsed on my last night and I'm railing at God, you know, I don't get this, you know, mm -hmm. I did this and this and this, you know, and, and, you know, I don't understand, you know, why, why you don't love me. And it, it came very clear to me. It's not me that doesn't love you. You don't love yourself. Mm -hmm. And whoa, did that hit me? Yeah. I mean, yeah. what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. Right. What does that is a hard thing. What does that mean? You know, how do we get someone to that point of of loving themselves? You know, I mean, that's that's the million dollar question. Um, and, and I think it always will be. 
to be honest with you. Um, yeah, obviously, I mean, we look, we could talk about all the, you know, the, the standard stuff, the guilt, the shame, everything else that, that we've all had and experienced, um, you know, while we're, while we've been in recon, not only the guilt and shame while we were using, but the guilt and shame afterwards, now that we've got a clear head, right. And we're, and we're thinking about all those things that we did. I, I, I mean, I don't want to sit here and just say it's a crapshoot, but, but hell, it just might be, be because, I, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to clear myself of all the bullshit that I did for those 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 20 years. I can make amends. I can do those things. But it's still within my soul that I have to wrestle with not not a, not a lot of them anymore. OK, but but there's still a couple of things there that maybe I did. You know, I did something illegal, which I did. Um, <laughs> but. You know, now I have now I have to wrestle with that a little bit. And that's not a fun wrestling match, you know, um, and, and for somebody that doesn't have a lot of time under their belt. Geez, I mean, that's 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 a huge, huge wrestling match at that point. Well, you know, the program does tell us, you know, we won't regret the past or turn our back on it and we can use it yeah. to be useful to other people. So I think that's a piece of it. But um we do have to face the pain. And I, I, I got married when I was uh, 16 the first time. That was another one of my times getting married, <laughs> trying to have the perfect family. This time I'll get it right. You know? Right. Uh, but, you know, I was, uh, I was, first of all, I was totally traumatized. I had been all, suffering all kinds of abuse. And I, 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 even though I was like, you know, on the one hand, like really level-headed and had knew what I wanted to do with my life. I, I was so traumatized. On the other hand, I just wanted to get out of the house. So I got pregnant, got married and got out of the house and started my own dysfunctional family. And I had no parenting skills and I was uh, uh, hormonal and oh, it was a mess. I, I was not a good, I was a horrible mother. And, you know, that's hard to live with. That's sure. hard to live with. But what I can do is talk about that now. I have to forgive myself. I'm not right. useful if I hold in that shame and guilt. Right. And I have to forgive myself and be willing to do whatever it takes with that child to heal. It yep. takes two. You know, it can't be just one person doing that. It takes a parent and a child to, to do the healing. I can heal myself and that person can heal themselves. But it take, for our relationship to heal, it takes two. So that's that's one part of it. But the other part is to learn how to replace every kind of negative thought or negative behavior with something loving. Mm. What I talk about here is we have to face the pain, whether it's our trauma that was done to us or the trauma that we inflicted on others. We have to face it. Mm -hmm. Then we and we have to do the healing around that. Mm -hmm. And you know, this this isn't a whole show on trauma work, but I'm sure most of you you know, understand like that's taking the deep dive in, in your therapy. It's going beyond the, this is what affected me. This is how it affected me. And this is how, you know, I manage my anger. And you know, it's different than that. It's different than what um, a program of recovery is designed to help you with. And it even says some of us need outside help. I would say most of us, <laughs> most of us need outside help you right, know right um but but anyhow we have to be willing to face that pain and to heal it and then the second thing is forgiveness and mm -hmm. and the most important person we ever forgive is ourselves because mm -hmm. at you the know, root even as little children i was like what am i doing that's making him do this to me right, i was right. blaming myself 
Right. Yeah. It couldn't be, you know, God couldn't possibly be doing this to me. And, you know, God, the parents are God until we form some other spiritual entity. Mm-hmm. How could God do this to me? What mm-hmm. have I done wrong? And so the forgiveness is really, you know, understanding. And, and, and then we can have compassion for someone who would be so sick to harm and my sickness too, to harm someone, you know, to, mm-hmm. to have, to see the whole thing and a whole different perspective and to then take those experiences and, and give them meaning and then to, to learn how to love myself. What I teach people is, you know, imagine that you, you are a little two or three or four or five year old. You teach that child how to eat healthy, how to get a good night's sleep, how to have some structure, how to make friends, how to talk about their feelings. I have a new grandchild, 18 months old. Her mom left the other day and she started crying. And I didn't try to stop it. I just said, you feel sad. Mommy left. And then she quit crying. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we, we do so many things that are oppositional to mental health and we don't even realize we're doing it. So we have to learn as recovering people how to give ourselves that proper loving parenting that we didn't get early on. New Perceptions North, the premier drug and alcohol treatment and recovery center in Central California. A full continuum of medically supervised top quality care with programs for detox, inpatient residential treatment with dual diagnosis, intensive outpatient treatment, sober living, support groups, and more. With 50 plus years of combined experience and sobriety, Flint Anderson and Thelma Gatlin Wilson provide adult men and women with the highest caliber of professional health care, treating each client with compassion and respect, in a safe, comfortable environment to begin the process of recovery to proudly create and sustain a life without addiction, call 559-978-1507 or visit newperceptionsnorth.com. A couple of things on that, and and especially what I notice with, uh, with younger people in recovery, a couple of things. Most of them want that, they want the families to forgive them quickly. They can't understand why, you know, my sister isn't forgiving me for that. I'm, I'm, I'm now clean. I'm now sober. Everything's okay. So, so that's number one. They, they just can't grasp that. The second thing is because what, what you said was, you know, when, when we're, we definitely need that outside help after we get through detox and residential. And I am a huge proponent of that. But what I'm finding now, because we are in such a world of hurry, everything's a hurry. Everything needs to get done quickly. You know, there's something, Donna, to be said for, for my age group. All right. Because, you know, we, we, we have learned a few things uh, over, over these 24, 30 and, you know, 40 year olds. But the other thing is that they're all gung ho when they come in. The mo- most of them, they're they're pretty much gung ho when they come in. But now we need to talk about the outpatient side. We need to talk about the therapeutic side, the psychological piece to this. And oh well, no, I I I can't do PHP. I can't go there five days a week for for four hours a day because you know I I've got my job and and you know and I just have to and I have to get back because I miss everybody. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. And, and, and even the people that are, that their insurance is going ahead and paying for the outpatient, their, their job is giving them the time off after the 30 days or however long they stay. 
they still want to speed up this process. And we're sitting there going, look, you know, we can't force anybody into anything, but I'm here to tell you, lady, guy, whatever it is, you know, this, this is chances are you're going to be right back here at some point. If you don't start taking care of yourself and learning how to do this, and it's going to take time, the time, the word time doesn't, and I own a treatment center as well. Donna. So, so that, that, that word time is like, it's gone. It's, it's, it's just gone. Nobody's going to take, nobody wants to take the time to do it. So I don't know even how we get around that piece anymore. Well, we have, we have to help people, young people to understand that um, they are uh, treating their lives as if they're um, cars. And all I just need to do is pull in the gas station and fill her up. Yeah. And so, you know, recovery uh, that if you do that, you're going to run out of gas. You got to fill up constantly. And, and there's no, there's like recovery isn't about, you know, a checklist and then you're done. Like it's a lifelong process. And, um, and we also have to teach them to, you know, what, this is what I'm seeing. I don't know what's going on in California, but I'm seeing in meetings <clears throat> with the young people, every, maybe one in 50 is different, but generally <clears throat> they come into the meetings and they, um, I'll just talk about recovery meetings. I'm not naming sure. any type of recovery meeting. Um, and and they and and they have their phones, they're on the phone the whole time. They don't put um, they don't make any kind of 50 cent dollar contribution. Um and when they share, it's it's um, you know, everything's great and wonderful, and I'm so happy to uh -huh. be here, kind of thing. Um, and then, uh, and then they, they, some of them are sleeping. Um, there's just a, a lack of real understanding. And I think, you know, part of this is, you know, for people who are helping them to help them to understand, like it's not fast. And, and it's also about, you know, the more the fat, if you want to go faster, keep working more on yourself. And, um, there, you know, and this is where you can use like technology in a way to help them like, oh, Here's, you know, here's, let's, let's, you know, here's an app on how to calm yourself. Here's an app on how to do this. Or let's do a checklist for you every day. You know, where you're keeping track of, are you eating healthy food? Are you, are you getting to sleep uh, at night and getting, you know, five or six hours of sleep? Are you learning how to meditate? Are you um, journaling? You know, look, you, you want, you want it fast. Here's how you get it fast every right. day. Right, you know, right. Get on up in the morning and you thank God or you thank whatever, you know, you can just say, thank you world, you know, for the, the day I'm alive, you know, thank you for the help I'm receiving. Thank right. you for my sheets. Thank you that I can breathe air. You know, thank you that I'm not in a war, you know, it's just in here. It's the only right. one. And it's not like a control. <laughs> right. you, know, you know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And at night, thank you. You know, I'm sober today. Just these simple things, but doing it is the key. So if you want to fast, here's your... And I have 77 in my new book, uh, The Healing Moment, but uh, and I also have them in Exit the Maze. But here's the, here's the things to do if you want it fast. Yeah. But it's not you're not going to pull into a gas station and fill it up. That's just right. it's not right. going to happen. You're going to run on empty, and your car is going to stop. Right. Yeah. I Probably find at the nearest drug dealer's house. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I find it ironic when you talk about that they're unwilling to go do four hours. I we wasted a lot more than four hours a day on our addiction. Yeah. We all, the vast majority of us, get to that point. And, oh, and the money. To... And yeah. the money. Yeah. So you'll waste your time. So don't tell me it's about right. time. Right. It's just the lack of exactly. willingness. 
Right. And, and, and I think it's a lot of it with young people too, is, you know, Flint, you've seen it and I see it. It's a lot of coddling, a lot of somebody, a parental figure or whatever, doing this for me. It's that entitlement that still sits there. And it's like, no, this is something you're going to have to earn. Like you got to earn this trophy. I'm sorry. You don't get just participation. Uh, yeah. Points. If you don't earn it, it doesn't mean anything. If you don't earn things, they don't mean anything. This is what you said is so, so important. Yeah. You if know, your that, life doesn't mean anything to you and you don't really care if you're drinking and drugging or doing whatever you're doing in your addiction, if you don't care about that, it doesn't mean anything. So until you invest your time and your money and yourself, and 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 I'm talking about time being as important as money, mm. if you don't give a tenth of what you gave to your addiction and time and money, you're screwed. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, the other, the other side of that too is, is, and, and I don't want to say always, but a good portion of the time is, and I'm going to try to explain this the best I can. The, the, the parents in particular, the parents are, and we'll just use the person that needs to go back to work, for example. Well, you, you know, my son is, is just one of those guys. Okay. You know, he's going to have to, he's going to have to get back to work. All right. Because, you know, if he doesn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, and, and so the parents are, are validating what their addict child is telling us instead of the parent understanding, look, we've been here before. We know what we're talking about. We're just not saying this because we want to keep somebody here. Right. It's, uh, Don, I tell everybody, I don't want to grow old with any of them. I, I, I want them to get it. I want them to be able to move on, enjoy their life, have a, have a great life, even though there's going to be plenty of ups and downs. This isn't about keeping people in treatment. This, this is about learning from the people that have been there before you. Mm -hmm. And so when the parent doesn't do it and the person in recovery or, or starting their recovery doesn't, doesn't listen, man, I'm telling you their, their, their chances are slim and none. Oh, uh, that's for sure. Because uh, can you imagine, I mean, I, I have a concierge practice here in Palm beach. So I work with the, the rich and famous, uh, you there know, you go. my practice has evolved into that over the years and they'll come in, you know, my, my child is mental ill, uh, mentally ill. And I, I start asking questions and so now your child's addicted. Yeah. <laughs> your child's <laughs> right. Ill. And, you know, and it's like, but let's not worry about your child. Let's change your behavior. And guess what? Your child will get well. Oh, you yeah. don't understand. Every time we've tried to, you know, set limits and boundaries, they go really crazy. <laughs> and I say, but you don't understand. You have taught them to do that. Yep. And the minute you teach yourself to stop doing that behavior, your kid's going to get better. Right. And, you know, very few people will hear that. You know, Very even few. when they hear themselves say it, I had a I had a couple in here the other day, highly self-made man, totally self-made, you know, really worked his way through college and and got the right job and wound up as a top executive for a major, major, major business. I'm not gonna give any more sure. information. And he actually sat in here and said, you know, um, my, my my son's got got an addiction and um you know he, he's just never worked you know when i was young we just used to get out of school and go to work well why isn't he working right because he doesn't have to work right yeah. right you haven't told him to get his ass up and get a job but what if he goes homeless or or you know gets hurt or whatever i said well he is homeless 
he already is. Yeah. Except you're paying for his home. Right. <laughs> and you know, can you? And I'll say this: sometimes this will ring a chord. Can you imagine? Do you remember what it was like on your first job interview? Yes. How did that feel? I was nervous. Can you imagine doing that for the first time in your late 30s or 40s? Right. Can you imagine? It's it's you're paralyzed. You can't. Yeah. You can't. So these people need to be in treatment until they can learn how to go on a job interview, accept the responsibility, even if it's working as a grocery clerk, and you know, right. rehabilitate themselves so that they can be independent. Yeah, yeah, no, no question. But you, but you, I'm sorry, but you, you, you said you said one thing there in that statement. You you said they need to be in treatment until, right? So I'm gonna just gonna go off here a little bit. I agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more on that statement. But right now, because of a the cost of treatment, if somebody if somebody has insurance, let's start there. We're seeing, at least here in California, we are seeing uh, an approximate um, um, stay of 17 to maybe 20 days because of the insurance policies. Because the cash prices are are high, because... Again, we're in California, right? right. And I'm, I, I, it's 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 ridiculous, it. right? You get it, you know. Then the age-old question comes in: How do we keep these people in treatment in order for them to get the true help that they need in order to be successful, or or at minimum to remain clean and sober for the rest of their lives? That's the that's the million-dollar question, right? Well, treatment doesn't necessarily have to be residential treatment. I and- got it facility treatment yeah. can be that they work with an agency that um, is not for profit after they leave primary treatment treatment can be sober housing treatment could be mm-hmm. therapy with the family you know mm-hmm. total family therapy not just you know occasional right. um and so you know and and and, the, and treatment could be we're going to help you this much for three months and then this much contingent on you doing these things and then this month's much for another three months, you know, it can be like a weaning off of the parental payroll as the person rehabilitates himself little by little. Mm-hmm. I mean, treatment doesn't necessarily have to be what we think of as treatment, right? Like living somewhere. It can be mm-hmm. different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, here I... we have, here we have a place called burn house. Most of the people in there have been homeless. Some of them are, are have been very wealthy. Um, they got arrested, go to jail or go to Fernhouse was the option. And so, um, but most of them have been homeless and, and on the streets for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they have to earn their way. You know, they have to, they, they get a two week reprieve and then they're off to the job interviews mm-hmm. and they have to pay a small amount they have to help cook. They have to keep their room clean. Sure. They have chores. You know, it's reparenting stuff. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and they can stay as long as they, you know, up to a year um, so that they get, a, you know, a really strong foundation. Well, we, we've seen, I own a sober living facility as well. And I've had one for, I don't know, six or seven years now. We've been really successful it's a wonderful at segue. it. It's a wonderful segue. Yeah, it it, it is. Um, but then again, especially since COVID. 
we have seen such an enormous drop in people not wanting to go into sober living. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. There's, there's, there, there's other sober livings out there that, again, I'm not putting blame anywhere. I'm not doing any of that. But there are certain sober livings and that I'll tell you right now, you talk about your clients. I've got the same clientele here. That's just how that's just how it wound up. Those people are not going to send their child to a sober living that is in, quote, the wrong neighborhood, which, again, ours isn't. But right. I, I the the drop that I have seen in the number of people even wanting to go into sober living is it, it, it's unbelievable at this point. And, and so, I mean, we can get somebody to get into therapy for a while, but again, if you don't have that support of that family and everybody else, it's just going to blow up all the hell. And, but, you know, or the support of the treatment center. I recently sent somebody to treatment for sex addiction and, and, um, and crack and uh, from a very wealthy family. And I said, I want to be sure that he has a program for both by the time he gets out of here. Well, he didn't have a program for both. They put him in a private room with a computer. Oh, I'm like, Jesus. are you kidding me? Are you, are you kidding? kidding me? Oh, well, we were afraid he was going to leave. I said, you should have been afraid he he he, he wouldn't leave if he wasn't serious about his recovery. Right. I sent him there. He was prepared to be in a co you know co shared room with somebody, and he understood no electronics except right. for maybe you know I think they were allowed 15 minutes a day or something because he did have a very important career. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, everybody needs to be on the same page. And I think when parent, it comes to parents, like if you're not willing to do these things, you're part of the family illness, then you're wasting your time and money. Ab absolutely. Because there's going to be step one, there's going to be another step, there's going to be another step and another step. You're right. Your children has a mental illness, but it's not because they're born that way. It's because their addiction has caused their brain to be so deranged and the families, yours too, by the way. Right. I mean, when you're, when you're dealing with a, a person that you love, you that can't have a manageable life, that is incredibly dysregulating to a whole family. So unless you're all willing to be on the same page and, and get aligned with the treatment, then it's better you don't start at all. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, please call Parents and Addicts in Need at 559-579-1551 or check us out online at painnonprofit.org. Follow us on social media at Pain Nonprofit. Please subscribe to the podcast and share with others wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. To donate, please click the link in the description and help us save more lives gripped by addiction. Right. You again, you said something that, you know, what comes first, the mental health or the addiction or the addiction and then the mental health? That's that's, again, another million dollar question here, because it seems now and again, I'm not discounting anything here, but but a lot of people seem to be everybody. Everybody has a mental health issue. Well, guess what? Not everybody's got a mental health issue. Health. Right. Not everybody. <laughs> Not everybody's pills. <laughs> more pills. <laughs> not everybody's got it. Look, I believe all babies are born perfect. There is an occasional child who's got a birth defect, whether it's the brain defect or a limb defect or a heart defect or whatever the de that's rare. 
I believe babies are born perfect. Now, if their mother was using one there, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. But most babies are born perfect. They become addicted because it's learned. They're watching other people get high or they're suffering trauma. And the first time they take that drink or drug, whoo, it's all gone. You know, they feel right. normal. They feel good. Or in some cases, you know, you are genetically predisposed, but there's no gene that says you have to smoke, you have to drink, you have to take crack, you have to watch porn. There's right. no gene that dictates you do that to begin with. So right. if there's a, pre, uh, a predisposition, you teach the child about that early on and warn them. Mm -hmm. And then that way, when they do it the first time, they're going to realize, yeah. oh, <laughs> this is scary. They feel so fulfilled and good about themselves. They're not going to be as inclined to do it to begin with. Right. So this is the whole thing. Now, if you if you start treating addicts like mental ill, mentally brain dis, you know, just you have a brain disorder, which is what all the diagnostic manuals say now. They don't even use the word addiction. It really sets my hair on fire. Me too. Um, <laughs> I've been around the block a few times with all this stuff. Um, if you say that, then you know all you need is these little magic pills, and everything will be fine. You know, yeah, um, yeah. and in some cases, you do need those magic pills, at least temporarily. But everybody's being given, almost everybody's being given them now, and the re the recovery rate is less, not better. And even people who are so called sober still on Suboxone and things like that. You know, there it, it is. It's a, it, it's a shame. It's a shame. So this is what I believe. I believe, yes, you have a brain disorder, but you weren't born that way. Your addiction caused your brain disorder and stopping your addiction and learning how to love yourself, giving yourself the nutrients that are lacking in your body and your brain, giving, regulating, uh, learning how to regulate your emotions, learning how to attach to healthy relationships and loving people and learning how to take care of yourself. Your brain will heal. If it hasn't mm -hmm. gone on way, you know, and I've even seen people who were totally out of it in their 60s and 70s have that miraculous healing. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to set a time limit on it, but well, you, yeah, you have a brain disorder, but it's not because you're born that way and you need pills. It's because dr your addiction caused it. So yeah. once you stop your addiction, you can reverse it. Just like the liver gets, you know, it hasn't gotten too totally cirrhotic. It can, it can. It rejuvenates itself. Yep. Yeah. You brought up something that's a real hot button for us, and that's uh, long-term harm reduction. When you mentioned Suboxone, we were like, oh, there it is. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, what is your perspective on that? Because you mentioned, you know, you brought up Suboxone, and, we're, you know, Flint was on methadone two years, and essentially, lack of a better language, and shove this up your ass, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I literally said that to him, yeah. Good for you. Well, I think it has its place because some of this uh, drugs, the fentanyl and the crack and some of this stuff now is so, um, you know, your brain gets so messed up and then you go through that post-acute withdrawal syndrome, you know, if it can, if it can tamp that, but, in, and I'm saying in, in some cases, not all cases, right? you know, if right. someone is coming out of their skin, I mean, it's just like, you know, you're coming off of alcohol, if you can go on some benzos and get weaned off, that's yep. certainly, you know healthier than seizures and all that. So it has its place, but that's not what's happening. What's happening is that people are being prescribed it. They're supposed to have therapy and get weaned off of it in a few months. But no, right. I have people coming in here, been on it for four years now. Right. Yeah. They're not all there. Their judgment is their, their frontal lobe is not working correctly. Right. 
and they're still like you know addicts they may be functioning high, more highly functioning but they're thinking and reasoning and their and the important factors of their life like relationships <laughs> which is so important if you can't love and be loved you're you're not you know you're missing it you're missing it that's why we're here no, I, I mean, a, a, again, this this has this is a, a, a what I call the the bandwagon issue right now. You know, everybody is on it. Let's let's keep them on Zaboxone. Let's keep them on methadone. Um, let's let's make sure that they've got clean needles. Let's make sure that we've got given them fentanyl test strips. Um, oh, oh, by the way, the big one is out here, uh, and I can't remember exactly the order, but but. Try try uh, smoking or snorting instead of ingesting. You know that 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 was another comment by some idiot uh, organization. Yeah, yeah a politician. Um, you know now now on a, on a short term basis again i i think that it's fine you know what 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 that short term is 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 kind of different for everybody but again in our my treatment center we 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 try getting them off somewhere within that 10 days to 3 week period um and i and that's a good safe time frame to to get somebody off of it um, you know, and again, Donna, the, the, the reason why I have such a such a bug up my butt about this is that, you know, I went through it all. You know, I, I, I had a 20 year plus addiction to opiates. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I tried to get clean. Um, I did go down that methadone route. But here's what's here's what even scares me is that those that are out there promoting this long-term harm reduction. They're not giving both sides of the story to the people right. that they're addressing. They're not right. talking about the long-term health risks. They're not right. talking about the heart issues, the bowel issues, the sleep disorders, the, the, this, the, the, you know, the, the increased pain issue that comes with long-term opiate use, super tolerance. They're just, and, and there's plenty more. Of, of health risks that are associated with both methadone and Zaboxone because it's still an opioid. It's, 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 it's still that, that concentration of opiates. So we're just doing such an injustice to, to these people. Um, and again, I think part of it is, it's, I think a big part of it is political. I, I, I really do. Of course, of course. It's big money. Big pharma's big money, big donations, you know, and don't think yeah. they won't shut us down for saying so. Um, right. here, here's the problem. I mean, you're taking uh, these young people. Uh, one of my study, one of my research said that over 5 million children are on psychotropic medication. Psychiatric oh, that doesn't surprise me. That doesn't okay, surprise Adderall. Me. Every crack oh. addict that's been in here has been on Adderall. These young people. Yeah. Every one of them, I you know I'm doing my research. Does Adderall lead to addiction later on? I had to go yes. through five pages of no, it doesn't. Here's this study. Here's this study. Then you start digging. Who did the study? Oh, university. Who funded the study? Oh, big pharma. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> and then you finally find out, you know, ten pages later that uh, by the way, yeah, there is a, a correlation. There is a correlation between children that have been on Adderall and being addicted later. Yeah. I, I walked into a school one time. I was speaking to their SART group, their family group and uh, and their administrators. And my my first I didn't even start out. I, I started out asking a question. 
I said, how many here have their medical degree? And they're like, what? And I said, how many here have their medical degree? And they go, well, none of us. I said, then why are you in essence prescribing Ritalin to five-year-olds? I, I, I said, who gives you that right to tell a parent because this little boy, by the way, little boys are are, are more apt to go a little nuttier than girls at that age, of right? Course. I said, that's what they're supposed to do. They're a pain in the ass. They're supposed <laughs> to be a pain in the ass. I, I, I said, so why are you doing this? Of course, nobody could answer it, but we all know we we all know the answer to it. Teachers don't want to teach. They want to be able to control these kids and make sure they're all sitting nice and upright in their chairs. Rather than putting them in the proper learning program for that type of personality. Yeah, yeah, ex ex exactly. Like, yeah, you learn differently than the other kids because you're smart. Yeah. Not that right. they're not, <laughs> but right. you learn fast, you know, so don't sit you down in a traditional learning setting, repeating the same thing over and over and over again. Right. But right. my son, was, I, I, he got in trouble a couple of times and he was a, he was sensitive and, and gentle. He wasn't hyper, but he would sit there in class and drift off. And one time his history teacher started yelling at him, what are you looking at? And he goes, well, I'm trying to figure out how that bird makes that nest up in the tree. And of course, the you know teacher went bonkers and sent him. To I the, love that. You know, to, and and there was a couple of instances like that. And they said, we think he's got you know ADDH, and and we want you to take him to a psychologist. I said, I'll take him to a psychologist, but he's not going on medication. You're not right. messing with that kid's brain. That kid's got an I said it right in front of him. That kid's got an amazing brain, and we're not screwing around with it. You know. Yeah. So I took him to the psychologist, and I said that to the psychologist. Like psychologist did a test. And he said, no, he, he's just really, really smart. And he's the kind of kid that's going to go into a library, take every book down, teach himself, read all of them. And that's exactly how he turned out. He'll yeah. take a subject and he'll master it. He'll know everything about it. If I need to know about macro or microeconomics or Bitcoin or, or how a tree grows or how a bird yeah. builds a nest and what kind of birds build what kind of nest, I asked my son because we didn't mess him up. Right, he has yeah. no addictions, by the way. We, we didn't mess him up. And, uh, you know, I think that parents, we need to advocate for our babies and our children. They are perfect. They are fine. Yes, they may need to modify their behavior. It's not, it's not socially acceptable to ignore the teacher and focus on the bird and the tree. You know, redirect yourself or get, it, get your child into a learning environment where they can learn at their own rate and experience you know, like the... Um, Elon Musk uh, type of um, uh, uh, Steinhardt type of method of learning where children who are really bright and curious and, and are, are self-motivated to learn aren't stuck in those more traditional rote memory types of situations, the traditional learning situations, which work well for some people, but not all. Right. Yeah. And and again, that teacher, I, I believe, has that responsibility as a teacher to notice that, you know, yeah. instead of jumping right into let's medicate this kid. Right. OK, How wow. Sad. Why is he staring out the window? Why is he wondering why that bird's nest, how that bird makes that nest? You know, they're there. Right. They're, and again, I kind of I don't put myself in the genius category by any sense, but, but I was a lot like that. I, it, it took me a long time, you know, to, to sit there and try to focus on what this teacher kept saying. And I, I, I wanted to say, I got it. I got yeah. it the first time you said it, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I mean, sometimes, and again, I, I have a faith, but it's like going to church and the minister saying the same thing five times in a row. I'm bored already. I'm going, gosh, I got it. 
And you're, and maybe the same thing's happening in the middle of the night. Your brain says, I want to learn something new right now. Absolutely. Yeah, that book. doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I want to read a book. I want to think about this. <laughs> I don't want to sleep. <laughs> no, I, yeah, my son is on the autism spectrum, uh, Asperger's, and he's uh, he's a self-learner. And it's just like, school doesn't give him enough. What, what else can we find, you mm-hmm. know? Wonderful. That's a great attunement to his needs rather than yeah. expecting a child to modify their needs to the the adult which is the primary cause of narcissism which is another vast problem you know oh good lord supposed to rotate around the child's needs not the other way around when it gets reversed then that you get stuck in that phase of development for the rest of your life yeah oh good lord absolutely and and we've talked about that in different regards it was brought up by a, a prior guest who who asked the question of you know with the youth, especially teenage girls now, why we're seeing such behavior. And my perspective was, well, you know, when you used to kind of vicariously live through your kids is like, wow, watching them do something, you know, that's, that's an achievement. Now it's just, well, how hot can my daughter be? And I want to be more of a friend than, you know, a parent and, you know, dress like it. It's just, it really is. We're seeing such a narcissistic shift with, with parenting sometimes. It's just, it's disheartening. I, you know, I, I don't know how many people I've talked to that also fell into the addiction the same way, you know, or, or neglect for that matter, or just complete neglect. Yeah. Neglect. Yeah. That's a form of abuse. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of us intentionally do that to our children. I, I, again, we have to, Look, it, it's screaming in every parent's face, and some parents are very mindful of it, and they're making sure that they raise their children a certain way to prevent as much of this as possible, that to, to build the character and the, and the internal substance. Like, you know, you want you want to you, you want to get that toy. Okay, well, you're old enough now to you know do a little chores and earn some money and invest in that toy. You know, that kind of thing, and and to t- to teach children how beautiful and wonderful and lovable they are, and when they're not, to say that behavior really isn't acceptable. And if they continue to do it, then there's natural consequences. And to really give them, this is reality. I don't care how liberal you become or how free-minded you become. Reality is much easier to cope with when you've learned it early on. And, uh, you know, otherwise you are inclined to, to have to be forced to face it and you psychologically fragment because you're not equipped. So yeah. it's not doing a, it's not doing children a favor to teach them to be all about the surface and not about what's inside their character. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, Don, I do. I do want to say this since I've got you here. You know, my I, I've, I've had 35 surgeries in the course of my life and I agree. Yeah. And I was born with with an ailment that caused me to have from the time I was born that day, um, thir- one a year till I was 13, four more in 1976. I think I've had, I don't know, seven or eight cents and I'm probably gonna have to have a couple more. But my but my point here is that, you know, I was on an opioid from day one. I mean, from 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 day one. Now that didn't continue 365 days the year for the year, but it it was at least two or three months, you know, after the surgery, and then each year to follow was the same, and and so my opioid receptors were totally ass backwards. Oh sure, um, you know by the by the oh, time your brain I was still developing, of course, uh, right, and, and and so by the you're time, a miracle. Oh my God, you're such a miracle. Well, thanks. Some people won't wouldn't tell you that, but, that, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, 
well, no. And then I, I wound up having a couple of heart attacks and knee surgeries from sports and back surgery and shoulder surgery and this and that. Um, but, but those, those initial 23, whatever they, they were, I mean, I, I, you know, again, I don't try to blame anything anymore, you know, for, for my addiction. Cause I think I still had a choice, especially when I was, you know, 17, 18, 19. Um, um, but you know, those, those, I mean, when that brain chemistry gets changed like that, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to change, you know, it is. And even to this day, and Jason knows this, even to this day, if I'm watching a television show, Dr. House, you know, uh, the, you know, the, the Dr. House show from the, from the two thousands. Yeah. I, I see him shake that bottle of Vicodin and I know, I, I mean, it still gives me that little, that little rush. You know, and I know exactly what he's thinking. He's thinking, okay, I've got seven pills in there. I know when I need to go talk to talk to whoever it is to try to get some more. You know, I mean, all that stuff just comes flooding back. Yes, but yes. again, the good news is I know where to take that today. Yes. I know where to take that so-called trigger. And and that's why I wish I could just, you know, do the I dream a genie move <laughs> and 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 forward everybody up to at least 60, you know. Um to where they get it because I, I look at all these young people coming up and I'm going, my God, I'm going, I, I don't know how many are actually going to be able to do this. You know, I, I, I really do. And, and it's, and it's pretty, and it's pretty frightening. And especially well, I think, again, well, your message is so powerful. If you can do it, they can do it. Of, right. If you can do it, they can do it. Yeah. Because, and again, it's Jason knows take it. someone who's raised on, a mood altered brain that recovered to speak to those people who are being yeah. raised on mood altered drugs. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what we're facing now um, is, is the fact that a lot of schools, they, they, they don't want us in there telling these kinds of stories because they, they think we're putting drug thoughts in kids' heads, even with the fentanyl crisis, you know, that they're, they're thinking that we're putting drug thoughts in kids' heads and, and, and it's, and it's, depressing it, it it really is it's uh, it's maddening it's all of those things well we, we can't yeah the schools aren't going to fix this the government no. isn't going to fix this the war on drugs isn't going to fix this the only people that are going to fix this is us yep. yep parents learning how to raise children that aren't inclined to want to put themselves in deadly poisonous toxic mood-altering permanently life-changing situations Right. That children that are raised with such good self-esteem and feeling so good about themselves that they just kind of notice that other people are smoking and doing dumb things and they just don't have any desire to do it. Yeah. Kind of like what we're doing these days. Right. You know, mm -hmm. we just we're not judging it. We're just saying, thank God it's not me anymore. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And, I, and, and so that that's the, the love is the solution. Yeah. That's the one solution. Love and yeah. teaching parents how to love their children in ways that they will learn to love themselves right, right so that when they do go off track you know and maybe they're at a party and and i heard you say something about fentanyl strips um i i personally would like to tell my child don't do drugs and raise them with all this that i'm talking about but if ever someone does do something and you can't control yourself at least test it with the fentanyl strip you know, and keep some Narcon in your pocket if someone's overdosing in front of you. 
you know, that's not a mixed message. That's understanding that young people, as you said earlier, their brains are not mature enough yet for a guy 25, 26, for a girl 22, 23, to not be impulsive, no matter how mature or how well, you know, they're human. We're all human. Mm-hmm. So, but, to, but, the, but the only solution is love. That is the only solution. Mm-hmm. No war is going to change this behavior. Yeah. yeah, that failed a long time ago. <laughs> and if you do the research, you go, oh, this is about this war on drugs thing was about money from the start and control and so on and so forth. But we could go on oh, yes. that forever. Yes. Right. Right. It's a losing battle on all fronts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Donna, if people want to grab the book, find out more about you, how can they do so? So my book is on um, in bookstores. Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Solution. There's a, I've written a couple other books too. One of them's coming out in April. And uh, Learn, Grow, Forgive, A Path to Spiritual Success has already been out for a couple of years. But it's right on Amazon, on um, Barnes & Noble, and uh, Goodreads. And all I have to do is click that button. And I'd love for people to write a review. It'd be really helpful. To, we're trying to. My mission is to save a million lives in the next 10 years. So I would really appreciate people participating and helping me with that. Absolutely. We'll put the link in the podcast description for those listening or watching. Thank you so much for your time. And what a great show. And I'll make sure I have it on all my social media too. Thank you for having me on. You got it, Donna. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, please call Parents and Addicts in Need at 559-579-1551 or check us out online at painnonprofit.org. Follow us on social media at Pain Nonprofit. Please subscribe to the podcast and share with others wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. To donate, please click the link in the description and help us save more lives gripped by addiction. This podcast contains the views and opinions of hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page.